You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Nice to see you guys here today. I completely forgot that we were going to be blessed with your presence today, Marty. I completely forgot. I said we were going to talk about the U.S. election audit today, but since you're here, I mean, it's a good thing, too, because Bruce has been calling me late at night because of the time difference he's been able to do. He's been calling me late at night trying to stop from crying himself to sleep every night, wondering when you're going to return. And here you are. Well, that's very kind of you to say so. Extremely insincere and and rather patronizing, but thank you very much, (laughs) nonetheless. No, it's good to see you. Bruce, how are you doing today? Healthy and alive. That's good, because if you're not healthy, well, then there's a vaccine for you that'll make you healthy. <laughs> of course, yes. But you need really good biceps. If that, um... <laughs> I can't get that stupid jingle out of my head. You know, the hit me with your best shot. I can't get that out of my head. It's just stuck there. It's a good song. It's a shame someone's had to um, use it and ruin it for everybody. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I was gonna, I was gonna say. Fortunately, I don't like the song, but then Marty had to mention that it's a good song. So, <laughs> well, who was it? Was it Pat Benatar? I can't remember. I'm, I'm I, sure I know the song, obviously, but I, um, I can't remember yeah. who did it. Yeah. I've got a lot lined up for us to talk about today. Uh, mainly today is, of course, with uh, with Marty. We, we try and stay kind of UK focused. We do have a lot of UK listeners, so we like to kind of discuss everything from an American standpoint, a Western Europe standpoint, a UK standpoint. So we like to stay well-rounded because we like to cover Western civilization as a whole. Uh, we don't like to kind of stay focused on one country. We like to cover all these things because, well, we're all in this together, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. So I want to talk about what's happened with the UK elections. You just had a round of elections and Labour got hammered, didn't they? Uh, Yeah. Labour lost a lot of seats. Again, these these are local elections. And the main one was in, I believe, Hartlepool, which was for the vacant seat in the House of Parliament. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, was that the Labor one Co- that they had that Labour had held since they actually created the seat and they lost it? Uh, yeah, um, okay. basically, the, I think that's it's either forty or fifty years that yep. seat has been a Labour seat. And the, interestingly enough, or maybe not, the lady who won it was a lady called Jill Mortimer. Now, I went to school with someone called Jill Mortimer, but I'm sure it's not the same person because I don't think she would ever want to be a Conservative MP because she was such a nice person. But yeah, they, they lost. There's been a big reshuffle in inside the Labour Party as far as the chief executive is concerned. This was the person who was supposed to be running the campaign. She's lost her job. And I think the main problem is uh, everyone knew what, what, what I would call him, the scarecrow man, Corbyn. Everyone knew what he stood for. And he basically stood for bankrupting the country and letting everyone have free stuff. But no one really knows what Keir Starmer stands for. I won't call him Sir unless I'm spelling it C U R. Can I? Can I just say? Can I just say something about that? Um, I, I know what he doesn't stand for. He doesn't stand for throwing a haymaker into a heavy bag. That I can tell you. Oh, oh yes, I've seen that video. 
Yes, he punches like a wet fart. That's all. That's all I could say. Honestly, he could not fight his way out of a wet paper bag if that's the best he's got. As a lifelong martial artist, I can tell a lot about a person by the way they throw a punch. And quite frankly, that guy should never have left his mother's apron strings. I saw that. I had to send that to you. I do apologize. But I thought, okay, someone who's got 30 years in in martial arts experience and... I I added it up the other day. (laughs) It's not 30 years. Is it not? 49 years, mate. 49 years. Okay. Well, okay. So I'm 19 (laughs) years off, right? It's no big deal. You're being kind. Thank you. But that much time, that much experience in, in... uh, martial arts, I thought, okay. And uh, I'm sure you've probably worked countless numbers of heavy bags. And uh, yeah. yeah, and heavy it, people. Yeah, sure, yeah. We were talking about some strapping young lads from Djibouti just before we started here and what happened to them when they came at you with a couple of machetes trying to take your wallet. They didn't leave well, with his wallet. <laughs> the, 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 I left with my wallet and their machetes. But to be fair, these countries where the machete is quite common, it's a common tool, people have got them everywhere. When you get mugged, by people armed with machetes, in most cases, they're not trying to kill you. They will swing at your thighs and your buttocks and try and scare you. And if you're stupid enough to block badly, you might lose a finger, but usually you're just going to wind up bleeding from cuts to the thighs and buttocks and then hand your wallet over because they know that if in places like Djibouti, which is full, was full of French Foreign Legion, and they were kind of the law there, if someone was convicted of murder in street crime, they would just be taken away and shot. So having a bit of a cut on the thigh seemed fairly, you know, innocuous to them. Mm. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, Speaking of the UK elections, this is right. This is breaking. This is right out of the National Pulse. Raheem Kassan, they do some great work over there. The UK announces voter ID law to avoid US style election fraud. I watched your guys's election very carefully when Boris was elected, your your general. I, I watched that very carefully. And I like your system, your your national election system, your general elections. I like that. I like how you use the paper ballots and there's a chain of custody from the time that people vote and it's voting day. It's not voting week, voting month, voting year, voting whatever, right? It's voting day. You go, you vote, your vote is then put from the paper ballot into the box. It's monitored and then it's carried from the, the polling station down to the local high school, community center, wh- whatever it is. And they're dumped out there in front of everybody, in front of the counters. And all the cameras are there and all the people are there. The whole community is there and you can watch the count. So there's no funny business going on. I like that system. But apparently the local elections are a little different because I heard... Nigel Farage, and regardless of where he stands on like uh, Brexit and insurance companies, okay, that's something else. But he was talking specifically on elections. And he was talking about the London mayoral election with Sadiq Khan, who just won re-election. And they're using Dominion and Smartmatic. These are the same things that we're having problems with all across the Western world, mainly in the U.S. So does this voter ID law, which, by the way, he pushed for mail-in voting this time around because of COVID, you see. So we have to, you know, have all that stuff put into place. But this type of voter ID law, what what would this do? You guys already have to have voter IDs or, or not voter IDs. You have to show ID to vote already. Do you not in, in a general election or am I mistaken? To be issued with a polling card, um, which gets posted through your door, um, you have to be registered to vote. And that's got your name on it uh, and your uh, unique identifying number. And you then take that polling card 
if you are able, so not mail-in, you take it to the polling station. The person behind the desk is supposed to ask for some form of photo ID, but they didn't when I when I voted just this last Thursday. Um, and then they hand you the ballot. And this time it was a multiple ballot. It was for local council elections and for the police and crime commissioner for the county. And they hand you them and you tick it in, put it in the box and go away. So they are supposed to ask you for some form of ID other than your polling card, just to confirm you are who you say you are. So instead, what they were doing was asking the first line of your address or your postcode or or whatever. But yeah, the problem I've got with this story, uh, and I'm familiar with the, the works of Rahim and Breitbart, who he used to write for, and, and where this piece of news is coming from, is that I believe that the US election was fraudulent and uh, mail-in voting and uh, using COVID as an excuse or as, as a reason for all the anomalies happened. But here in the UK, it it kind of doesn't happen. And you've got, of course, people like Sadiq Khan who are pushing for mail-in votes because of COVID. But I personally think it's because he wants to defraud the country. But although why he's worried, I don't know. Because as we mentioned, and I, I said this earlier, probably in our very first podcast, I said the way in which he got voted in was on the block Muslim vote. People go into a mosque five times a day to pray and then having a chat with the imam afterwards and being told, this is the guy we're going to vote for. Okay, that's what happens. That's how he's managed to get in. Our capital city is not inhabited by pearly kings and queens and chimney sweeps with, what was his name? Amiri Poppins, those kind of accents. It's populated by largely immigrant families and there's virtually no white British still living within the the confines of the city. That may be an exaggeration. Of course, there are white British living inside, but the way in which the majority is swung, it's largely immigrant families and quite a high proportion of those are Muslim families and they tend to vote as a block. I'm sorry if that sounds, you know, a bit off, but that is what happens. Well, I think that you find that across all ethnic groups, not just one or the other. I mean, you have people that will vote as a block. For example, in the U.S., the Hispanics usually vote as a block as well. Usually, uh, or, or which in this case, this time, this last time around, they voted as a block, just not the way they were supposed to vote, according to the Democrat Party. Same thing with the uh, the African-American vote. They tend to vote as a block as well. However, they didn't vote the way they were supposed to vote this last time around. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, I, but I, I I'm just saying... I'm just saying, in relevance as it relates to the London mayoral election, that's not uncommon. That that's not uncommon. That happens across all ethnic groups that we see just about everywhere. That people vote as a block. They do. The the legal in in the U.S. My my take on it was that the uh, the reason the Democrats were so upset that they weren't getting the Hispanic vote was because the majority of those voters being uh, legal um, citizens um, saw that. The Republican Party was the one that was going to create jobs rather than the Democrats. And that's what those hardworking people are into. Just the same as the, you know, the Muslim families in in London, you've got doctors, nurses, you've got lawyers, you've got retailers. You know, they are not the drain on our uh, 
social welfare system that some would have you think they are far from it they they are hard working people but they still vote in a block and uh, are easily manipulated into keeping someone like Sadiq Khan in that post. He said in a statement uh, when he was declaring victory uh, and all the rest of it, he said in a statement the other day that uh, he plans to extend the roads of London to all the rest of the country. What did he mean by that, in your humble opinion? Is he talking about governmental policy? I think he means that London as a hub, as a, as a center of business uh, and commerce will extend its its reach further across the country. I think that's what he wants to mean on the face of it. I personally think he's he's a, he's a dangerous person. I've seen him in front of large groups of different Muslim communities with black ISIS flags flying in the back without saying a single word of condemnation for those flags. So if he's someone who isn't prepared to condemn terrorism, then he's a dangerous person to have in that job. Uh, just like Corbyn, with his cuddling up to Hamas and to the IRA and Hezbollah, he would have been a dangerous person to have as leader of the country. Our relationships with the rest of the Western world and our security interests are harmed by people who will not stand up and condemn terrorism. Well, one way to avoid terrorism, in my humble opinion, is just give somebody a hug. Can you just give somebody a hug? Apparently right now that's illegal in the UK. You can't do that. But the good news is, the good news is, is that the media is now preparing everyone to be able to come out of this this lockdown and, and give everyone a hug. But you need to be careful. You need to be cautious. Now, you're being told in the UK that you need vaccine passports. Well, you, well, you're going to have them. I mean, it's not a matter of, well, you need them. You're going to have them whether you want them or not. And on that NHS app that will be used as a vaccine passport, you will have a list of approved destinations that you can go to. And of course, you'll have to follow the guidelines around each one of those. And that's only if you've taken two of these experimental jabs. Well, they're going to allow you to hug people. You need all this and you can do all this regardless of the fact that two people in the UK died of COVID-19 yesterday. Two people. Today, that number is even lower. Zero deaths today in the UK from COVID-19 as of right now, at the time of this recording, zero deaths. And you need COVID passports and you need vaccines and you aren't allowed to hug your loved ones and the country's still closed and businesses are still put under restrictions because of no deaths, because of two deaths yesterday. They're not doing anything to open these countries. Nothing. Nothing. People still think this is about a virus for whatever reason. I, I can't reach those people. There, there's nothing that we can do to, to reach people if that's what they believe at this point. They're not even bothering to entertain looking at places that are at 100% capacity. They're not even bothering to look at it. They lose control if they do that because then people say, well, it's time to open. Are they not even uh, like, are they not singing the praises of the lockdowns and the social distancing and whatnot? Because clearly that works great. I mean, obviously the, the numbers are down to zero, right? They're they're Yeah, the, they, they did sing the praises of it all and said how well we're all doing in a most patronizing fashion. Thank you, Boris. Actually, I don't want to hug anyone. I don't really care. It'd suit me to carry on in exactly as we are but with more freedom to go places. But if, if hugging was banned, that's fine. I think these, these overblown um, shows of emotion and affection are, are simply unwarranted. No, I'm joking. It's ridiculous. Look, you posted um, something on Telegram, which was the uh, one hour 
kind of video cast by Mike Yeadon, who yeah. was the was it Pfizer who was the chief vice, science officer for, yeah. vice, for former vice former vice president of Pfizer, and he was also their chief scientific officer. Yes, that one hour video just gave me such a boost of uh, of confidence and affirmation that um, everything we've been saying is right. And we were right to say it. I would strongly recommend our listeners to have a look. It's there on the Telegram channel still, isn't it? I double-checked earlier on. Um, or, or try and just look up Mike Yeadon or Michael Yeadon on YouTube and see what he has to say because it's an absolute shocker. There's someone with nothing to gain from saying or from telling the truth, but he's told it anyway. In fact, he's got a lot to lose by telling us how it is. He says in that video, if we don't do something now, then we are lost. We've lost it. And we have to do something now. You've got to take back your freedoms. If you want to hug someone and you, you're not full of cold and flu and suffering from COVID, give them a hug. You, you'll be able to tell. You know, one of the things he says is people who are ill stay indoors. They stay in bed. And it's the exchange of fluid, bodily fluids, snot, spittle, whatever that, that passes on the virus. So if you're not coughing, sneezing and spluttering, then you're probably safe to hug someone. And I think that's that's the important message. And they can stick all of the rest of this stuff up there. Oh, you, you have to get on the bleep button because this one's alliterative. Up there, well, farters. You know, a lot of the things that, that he was talking about in there, all this stuff, all of it, it's all unnecessary. The masks, it's all unnecessary. We've been saying that from day one. We're like, okay, what are these actually rated for? And then, of course, Michael reached out to us and he came on. He's an air quality expert. He deals in this stuff every day. He says it doesn't matter what you wear, whether it's a P100 or whether it's an N95 or one of these surgical masks, none of them stop it. You can even look at the highest grade HEPA filters, as Bruce was saying yesterday, and put them on your, your air intake units into your house, and it won't stop it. So it's purely political. You don't need masks. They don't work. But see, it's all connected. It's all connected. The social distancing, of course, the CDC's just backtracked on that again. Now they say, oh, no, it's airborne. It's everywhere now. Everything's connected. If you don't have the lockdowns, well, then you don't have masks. If you don't have masks, then you don't have the social distancing. If you don't have social distancing, you don't have the vaccines. It's all connected. So you can't just get rid of part of it. That's why they haven't let up off of any of it, because if they let up off of one part of it, the whole thing comes apart. It's a house of cards. So they have to keep on with the entire agenda simultaneously. They're stuck. They can't go any further with it. Well, I mean, they can go further with it, but they, I mean, they're doubling down now on the uh, the vaccine stuff. We'll talk about that here in a minute. My point is, is that you can't get rid of any part of it. People say, well, why are we still using the masks? That was supposed to stop it. Well, no, you need a vaccine now. It's just the carrot to lead you to the next thing. Well, we need the lockdown. Okay. All right. Well, if you're going to come out of lockdown, then we've got to do this, uh, the social distancing thing. Okay. Well, if you now see that that's not working because the case numbers are still rising. So we need to uh, put these th these masks uh, into effect. Okay. Well, okay. So uh, the masks will get you to a vaccine. Okay. Well, the vaccines. Are, no, you still have to. You have to take these. Uh, you have to take these vaccines. You still have to wear a mask and you still have to social distance. Oh, and you need a vaccine passport now to get into these places. So it's just the next thing, and they've not let off of any of it to get you to the next thing. The one thing was supposed to lead to the next thing to stop it. 
And instead, the opposite has happened. The lockdowns were supposed to stop everything. We were supposed to go back after 14 days, 30 days, if you're being generous. That didn't work. Okay, social distancing to try and knock it down. That didn't work. No, we need masks. Okay, that didn't work. More lockdowns. Okay, that didn't work. Well, we got vaccines. Nope, nope. Lockdowns, masks, social distancing, all the rest of it. And you need vaccine passports now. You see how this works? It's excessive approximation. It's just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. It has become a cult. Everything about this, the more I look at this, this has all the telltale signs of a cult. You know, I watched something the other night about, you guys remember Jim Jones, the uh, the cult, the Jonestown cult down in Africa? You, you remember that? Oh, yes. They were all wearing white and drank the Kool-Aid. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. If you're to go and you're to watch that, I mean, I watched a, a thing where they did a dramatization of it. And if you were to substitute Jim Jones, who was the cult leader, if you were to substitute him with a governmental body, I don't care which one at this point, because they're all saying the same thing. If you were to substitute him with a governmental organization and what's being done to the population and you substitute what the agenda was there in their community with COVID, it's a spitting image. It's shocking what's being done to people, people being demoralized, people being psychologically broken. They're not in any condition right now to be making any kind of rational decision if you've got somebody that's caught up in any of this stuff out there in the middle of the street that's wearing a mask by themselves. So they're so turned around and discombobulated that they can't even think for themselves anymore. So they just helplessly follow along with whatever's going on in the TV, which, God, what's going on in the TV over here? You think the apocalypse. They're actually calling it the apocalypse, the corona apocalypse in India. They're actually calling it that. It's unbelievable what's being done to people here. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. What does a cult always demand from its followers? It always demands more until eventually what happens? The cult leadership does what? When they're about to lose control, what do they do? They kill their followers. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say India, massive country, huge land area. But where all these problems are happening are in huge centers of population. The rural areas are relatively unaffected. There's all sorts of bad habits that we would consider bad habits. But in other cultures, they're perfectly normal. Clearing your throat and spitting in the street, for instance, they actually pass laws against spitting in the street uh, in in the UAE. And the use of, of a leaf that certain cultures from Africa and India chew called chat, they chew these leaves like much like tobacco and spit it out on the street. And as you walk down the streets of, of Abu Dhabi, you'd see these areas of this red streaking spittle on the floor. And... Okay, a country like the UAE has gone, no, enough is enough. It's illegal now and the police will arrest you if they see you doing it. But in India, people are still clearing their throats, spitting. Um, you see some of the practices of, um, of yoga where they actually pour water through the nose to spit out through the mouth. And this is being done in the street. This is not being done in the confines of someone's home. They're doing it in the street. It's hardly any wonder that this man-made virus is spreading like wildfire across a place where these different elements of culture, which are accepted, are going on. So, you know, why, why are we surprised? Why, why is it uh, actually an apocalypse? Is it really? Or have the images that we've been given, which we've got proof were staged because there's one to do with um, a previous problem, which I think was a gas leak, um, which was being rebranded as as look at this big queue for the hospital uh, due to COVID. And it was a gas leak in, in one of the major cities in India. And the same photograph, the same people wearing the same clothes are in that photograph and they're in the photograph. It's Mumbai, of, I believe. Of, yeah. 
So we're being conned. We need to listen to people like Mike Eden, who has categorically said that this is fake and unnecessary. A friend came round earlier today and, you know, he said, oh, yeah, I'm, I've, I've had my first jab. I'm waiting for my second. He was so shocked and stunned because I hadn't seen him for a while. And I said, well, I won't be having it and told him why. And that's what we've got to cope with. People are sort of in a cult-like fashion, just as you say, are posting on Facebook, on fake book. I've had my second jab or I've had my first jab and I've never felt so good to be stabbed. And, oh, yeah, this is great, blah, blah, blah. They're kidding themselves and they're being kidded by the cult. You know, I sent you the peer-reviewed study of when they tried to develop a coronavirus, a SARS coronavirus vaccine back in 2012 from the um, biological research lab in the University of Texas. And Bruce and I both looked over that study, uh, and I, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, but it kind of it was following along with what GP's study that he was mentioning last week. It's followed along with that up to this point from what he said. All of the people that are in the study right now, he says, have antibodies. Well, that followed along with the animal trials back in 2012. They all had antibodies, which is exactly what happened in the study when they tested it on the uh, the animals. And the same results, I'm assuming, uh, will be will be what you have uh, that, that was turned out in the trials. And as I said, this is a peer-reviewed study that's been out since 2012, but it's just now surfaced. All the animal test subjects that they ran through once, and this was the subject of the paper, once they were given the vaccines, they developed antibodies against it. However, after a specific period of time during the study, after, the, after an allotted amount of time, the test subject was then challenged which is one of the questions you asked to GP Marty, which he said he needed more time because they haven't gotten to that point yet, which would corroborate what's going on in the study that or what happened in the study back from 2012. Once the test subjects were challenged with another virus, what happened? A cytokine storm happened in the body and the body's own immune system killed itself. And in that report, and again, I've only scanned it, I've not read it in depth. There are several uh, slides of the tissue damage done to lung tissue after that cytokine storm. Uh, you know, there's examples of healthy lung tissue. And then what happened to that animal test subject, what happened to its lungs after being exposed to another virus? I hate to keep harping on about it, but Mike Eden covers this in, in his one hour video cast. And antibodies are a big huge in comparison to a virus. The virus exists inside a cell and the antibodies are in your bloodstream. They are, you know, white blood cells, T cells, lymphocytes, and they exist outside of those cells where the virus is. The way in which antibodies work are very different to the way in which this gene therapy vaccines uh, are actually working. And I think that's the real issue that I have with it as a complete layman, as a, as, a, as a, you know, by comparison, an uneducated person. That's the problem that I have with it, that they're not really a traditional vaccine. They are changing your genetic behavior. And what else are they doing? You change one thing, you know, all the fuss we made a while back about genetic crops. Yeah, great. If you can grow a tomato in a place where there's not much uh, rainfall, brilliant, you can feed more people. However, if that genetic material in the pollen gets cross-pollinated across to another crop, who knows what it will do to it? And it's the same with this 
this gene therapy vaccines. We don't know what the ultimate outcome is, is going to be. Uh, and, and that's why they're not really tested. That's why they shouldn't be being used. That's why they're dangerous. And why are these elite philanthropists like Bill Gates forcing this on us? Well, I think well, we know the answer to that. Yeah, if you do a good job with vaccines and healthcare, the, the other healthcare, and reproductive um, health. Yeah, you'll you'll lower that number by fifteen percent. Well, he he wanted the number to get one of the numbers to get to zero, didn't it's he? It's got to go. Yeah, yeah, one of those has to get one well, of those near has to, zero. to go to zero. So to population zero, yeah. growth or carbon emission has to go to zero. And uh, of course, we know his background. We know his uh, his father was a eugenicist. We know that the sexual health clinics that he funds uh, are all about abortion. I'm not anti-abortion. I know other people with you know staunch religious views that are anti-abortion. I think in the right circumstances that it can be the right choice to make. That's my opinion. But we shouldn't have someone... It, 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 these are things that People don't need encouraging to make that decision. They know whether they want to make that decision or not. A lot of the time, people who find themselves with an unwanted pregnancy or a pregnancy that could harm both themselves or result in an unsustainable birth, they know in their own minds what they want. And they don't need someone forcing that kind of choice down their throats. So, yeah, I just think he's a despicable man, not least of all because that nowadays you have to buy Microsoft Office just about every year because of the updates. That really sucks. I know he hasn't got anything to do with the company now, but if you just look at the way he's behaved with all the applications for your PC, which has become everyone's lifeline, one uh, absolute cockwomble he is. Well, now think about that. That's an interesting point you bring up there. Think about that. You have here in this in, in this case uh, an individual who has pretty much more or less made a system to where now you have to continue to buy it, right? You can no longer just one off and it's done and you own it and all the rest of it. No, 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 no. Now you have to continue to buy your subscription service to it. Everything seems to be going that way. Well, they've conquered that part of it. Why not do it with the human body, right? Well, you need more, right? You need more. The UK has just bought 60 million more doses of Pfizer's COVID vaccine to supply an autumn booster jab to cut the risk of the mutated variants. Yeah, what did I say? Yeah, mutation variants. Again, you don't need it. You don't need it. So it's all about uploading the new version of software into your body. See, they've already conquered everything that they think that they can conquer in the digital world. Now they're going to go for the physical world. They're going to go for the human genome. That's what they're going to go for. They think that now that they've done everything digitally, now they can go in and rewrite and recode things how they want. This is sick behavior, right? This is sick behavior. We actually have laws against this, but everyone in our government seems to be conveniently ignoring them because they're all part of the problem. I'm sorry to say. And the media, who's supposed to be on our side, is helplessly complacent. Uh, and I don't, really don't know what to do with them. You're going to have to remove all of it. But before we venture too far off of that, that's just my opinion on what I think they're doing. But before we venture too far off of that, Gates, you haven't been on since the announcement of his divorce. What, what's your take on that? We talked about it a little bit last week, and you had actually called me on the phone and asked me if we were going to talk about it. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I've, I've got one idea in my head and one idea only. I think Melinda finally had enough of his BS, and uh, I think she was either reluctant to go along with the whole plan to begin with, 
or she's finally found out what the real truth is because I think he's such a uh, a real piece of work mentally that he could probably have concealed his real intentions from his own wife and the intentions of the the rest of the the cabal you know so i think she's finally had enough or found the truth out and gone nah that's it i'm backing away from this and of course they you know being such a high profile individual they couldn't deal with a um perhaps the way they wanted to so this divorce will go ahead and she'll be given what she wants. And good luck to her. Maybe maybe she's not such a bad egg. But I th- I think that, yeah, she stepped back from association with him through divorce because she doesn't want to be part of this great reset, big plan. And good luck to her. Maybe. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. I, I'd like to think that that's what the case is. And there's rumors circulating in the foreign press right now about nothing in the American press, of course, but there's rumors circulating in the foreign press about his apparent involvement with uh, Jeffrey Epstein and saying that that could be the reason that's, uh, th- that all this is taking place is she found out what was going on with his relationship with Epstein, and now she wants to call it quits. Well, Supposedly, it's not even the fact that she found out what was going on. It's that um, she was in one of the meetings uh, as well. She attended uh, one of the meetings with Epstein and she was furious after that meeting. So supposedly that was back in either 2011 or 2013. One of those two. What was she furious about? That That's the real interesting thing. I'd, I'd love to know if it was a case of uh, a meeting between Gates and Epstein to say, right, we're going to gather as much dirt on influential people as possible, and you're going to invite them to your wild sex parties on your private island. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe she was furious after that, but they were married for 27 years, and that's a long time to be around someone. Uh, and you, you'd think you'd know someone, and you, whatever the, you know, you, you tend to form after that length of marriage you've got a joint plan you've got a joint focus but something has happened to 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 just brush that aside it's no longer important to melinda they do she no longer wants to be part of whatever that joint effort was i tend to think that it might be something along the lines of what the rockefellers did uh, back about 100 years ago and that was the the old man john d he basically developed a bad name for himself i mean everybody knows about how standard oil pretty much between rockefeller and jp morgan they basically sold junk bonds to uh utility and utility companies they cashed in all the money and that's how they made their fortunes, right? Everybody knows that. At least if you if you know mainland history, you know that. But everything with Standard Oil and the Rockefeller Foundation that came after that, when they created the tax-exempt foundation, all of that turned into a bad image, if you will. And so what did Rockefeller do? They moved everything to his wife. They decided they were going to divorce, moved all the things over to his wife. She became the face of the organization. He dropped out. He didn't draw like he didn't leave, but he he fell back. He was still running everything. He was running all the day to day stuff, but he wasn't the face anymore. She was. He became the person that would do all the dirty dealings and everything behind the scenes of the Rockefeller Foundation. But whenever the spokesperson was needed, then she would be put out there, the showpiece. She would give the the speeches and, and all the rest of it. The old man would be nowhere to be found. But with the Gates Foundation, she's going to be still involved with the foundation. And of course, right now, I think she's up to, I think, two and a half billion dollars, roughly, that she's going to get out of this deal right now, as of today. That's probably going to go up exponentially, I'd imagine. But if this is indeed what they're doing, at this point, 
if you criticize in, in the era of identity politics that we're in, if you criticize the foundation, well, you're attacking a woman. Yeah, okay. I can, I can see where you're going with that. But two and a half billion, 25 billion, it's, it's irrelevant. Once you get into those kind of numbers, you don't have to worry about anything else. All you, can, all you need to do is focus on whatever your top of the, the pyramid is as far as self-actualization is concerned and keep driving for it. You've got the funds to do it, to, to be whatever you can be and try to achieve whatever you want to achieve. So why make the break after 27 years? A hundred years ago, sure, it would work. 1920s, less education, less people aware of, of how the world actually works. And you could probably get away with putting a figurehead at the top of a, a big organization, perhaps to take the flak or to take the assassin's bullet. I don't know. But I think in, in, in today's world of equality, uh, particularly sexual equality, that whether there's a woman at the top of an organization or a man is irrelevant. Um, but I, I do take your point. Um, I still think that she's finally had enough and, Could um, be. Could and, be. and just doesn't want to be part of it. But of course, it's too late. It's too late. The, the, when, when the truth is finally revealed, she will be uh, tarred with the same brush. Speaking of the truth being finally revealed, let's talk about the former head of MI6 for just a few minutes. You did talk about big organizations and assassins. What better place to talk about than MI6, right? Yeah, sure. But a lot of people don't realize that most people who work for MI6 are agents. They're not part of the actual organization. They are assets to be used. And um, I can't remember now from, from just a few minutes ago what you were going to say about this. So I'm going to shut up and let you carry on. The former head of or the former chief of MI6 says that COVID-19 probably came from a lab. Sir Richard Dearlove, interesting names you have over there sometimes, I have to admit. Sir Richard Dearlove was on a program on the LBC, and he says coronavirus is more likely to have escaped from a lab than to have come from an animal. He said oh. the aspects... Of yeah, he says the aspects of the virus. What's thought that? it. Was, you know, just who'd have thought it? I, have and the thought, only yeah. thing I can say to that is no shizzle, Sherlock. Uh, um, yeah, we said it straight away. We said it, I said it straight away. Uh-huh. It, 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 it accidentally leaked long? from a lab on purpose. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Why has it taken this long for someone to actually say it? It's coming out everywhere. We talked last year. We talked over a year ago about how Fauci funded those labs. That's all over the mainstream press now about how Fauci yeah, funded those labs. But so what if they're um, trying to use that to their advantage to try to bring more lockdowns, more authoritarian things, for example? But this is a novel virus. We don't know what's going on, what it is. And they kind of flip flopped on their positions. Now they have the argument that this is a new virus. This is something new. This is something made in a lab. We've never experienced something like this. So we don't really know how it's going to respond. So we have to be careful. And if the other research we were seeing with the, um, the RNA vaccines, if uh, that research is accurate and we start seeing some side effects uh, from people that, have, that get re-exposed to COVID um, and they start having really adverse reactions, cytokine storms, whatnot, and people start dying from that, they're going to say, this is a new strand. See, this is a manufactured virus. We didn't know how it was going to go down. Try to do more authoritarian shutdowns. MI6, if he was the former chief, then maybe he's got nothing to do with it. And maybe that, that was his swan song. You know how 
I've said before that MPs only ever tell the truth just before they go and spend more time, in air quotes, with their family. But MI6 is the foreign branch of our intelligence services. And one of the talking points you were you listed before we started to record was about China's threat to Australia um, if they um, combine with the US forces to defend Taiwan against any possible invasion by you know, the People's Army of China. So it could be that it's the start of the, the information war to paint China as the bad guy, finally. Maybe China uh, has been the useful idiot of the, I believe you mentioned it uh, a couple of podcasts ago, about how many people, 3,000 people, they think, are part of the, the whole global elitist conspiracy. Roughly, yeah. 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 So that those 3,000 people probably constitutes about 85% of the world's wealth. And I think, I that, think you have around that, three thousand. By the way, just for point of reference, I think you yeah. have around the same amount of uh, Chinese Communist Party elites. I mean, like the inner party elites, you have about three thousand of them as well. So three thousand of the world's super rich that are part of the West here. Yes, but you also have an additional three thousand that are the elite Chinese Communist Party members. Right. So maybe that they finally, uh, or just about to, have no further use for China. And they they want world feeling to swing against them. You remember, I hope, that I said in one of the early podcasts about this, I hope we don't forget where this virus came from. Yes, it was a chain of events that wound up in Wuhan. So the virus was released in China first. Yes, it, or, it originated in labs in the West, but it was the Wuhan lab that either screwed up and let it out accidentally. I don't believe that or it was released deliberately. And I, I just hope we don't forget that. But someone coming out and saying something like this is if it gets purchased, and it was on LBC, so it will probably be on mainstream news in about a week or two because they're that far behind. LBC is relatively cutting edge, um, but the rest of our media is is just still spouting the, the government narrative. So if it does come out on mainstream media and people start feeling animosity towards China, then that that would probably be why he's come out and said it now. You know, I I think that, yes, you can, you, you can lay blame to the Chinese Communist Party. You can. However, the Chinese Communist Party and those labs, and I'm sure that they have very intelligent scientific, uh, very intelligent scientific community over there, because usually science doesn't know political lines. However, in China, I would argue that that's challenged. But you can't lay the blame at China's doorstep for this, for the entire thing. Now, I believe that they furthered their biological weapons program, which is actually illegal, by the way, under international law that they themselves agreed to. But the gain of function specifically, the part that makes this virus so transmissible, that didn't come from China. They couldn't do that. They had no way of developing that. There's no way they could have done that. Not in that amount of time. It would have taken them maybe another 10, 15 years to do that. Maybe longer. I don't know, depending on how advanced they are or if they would have stolen it from somewhere else. But the fact is, is that the NIH in America and American academia moved it there under the direction of Anthony Fauci. That's not up for debate. And I, I know that I say, OK, well, we like to have the conversation here in a free market of ideas, but that's a matter of public record. We told you about that last year. We weren't just blowing smoke. 
we had to check, recheck, and check again, and then make sure after that to make sure that what we were putting out, because that's big, that's big. You don't just go around saying that. The fact is, is they couldn't have done that without those people and without that funding. They couldn't have done it. Now, you're going to sit here and you're going to seriously tell me, and I, I can't connect that dot through official means by any stretch. I, I can't do it because we've looked. But you're going to tell me, looking at it from common sense, you're going to tell me that a guy who sits on the board of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who was the head of the NIH for 40 years, you're going to tell me that the head of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation doesn't know the kind of research that he's involved with in those Chinese labs. You're going to tell me that? No, he knew. I'm, I'm not going to tell you that, but somebody else might. To my mind, it's beyond doubt that he knew exactly what was happening. Uh, and so therefore, if the German um, scientist, uh, sorry, he's a German barrister, isn't he, that is um, bringing forward the uh, Nuremberg II yep. lawsuit. Yeah. Um, and he's just, as a matter of fact, he's just filed suit in Canada uh, as of two days ago, too, by the way. So they're involved as well. Uh, and I think it's it's like, uh, you know, building any, any uh, case for him to be able to file suit in the U.S., and federally in the US so that when these people need to come and give their testimony that they have to come is is going to have to to file you know suits in every western country before he manages to get a suit filed in the US because the current uh, administration is so involved and corrupt that I don't think It'll be an easy thing for him to do to get what's it called a subpoena to get someone like Fauci to appear in, in an international court. Are the uh, police coming for you? Is that what we're hearing? Uh, no, that's actually they they they, they went past a, earlier on, and and there was lots of sirens, several following each other down down the bus route at the back of the house. And I do think there must have been some major incident earlier today. But no, that's my cousin playing World of Warships. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> Can you turn it down a bit, Kevin? <laughs> I, I swear, I thought it was the police coming after you. I thought it was no. the police driving by. Real quick about the Fauci. Um, we actually have senators now, finally, standing up and saying, um, hey, uh, w w what's this about you funding the Wuhan lab? Why did we uh, aid China in this creation? So we finally at least have people coming up and saying something. The problem is, I don't think there's any real power behind that necessarily, because I, I don't think that Fauci can just say, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. What if he does this? What, what if he does this? We've been seeing the connection between him and Peter Daszak at the World Health Organization, right? And I heard this theory put forth earlier this afternoon. What if Fauci is, because let's be honest here, this is a slippery political game. And the higher up you go in politics, the more dangerous the game gets. That's the way it is. They use their dirty little secrets against each other and they set each other up playing politics. What if Fauci is setting Daszak up to take the fall? What if he's doing that? Because what were we seeing? Oh, Daszak has all these papers that are funded and all this research that is, that's funded by the... Uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He's done all these papers that are favorable to China. He's taken all this money from China, and then he's put funding with Fauci into those labs. So what if Fauci's setting him up to be the fall guy, but he falls and then rolls on Fauci, and then Fauci gets offered up later? Because think about this. Think about this. Just like in any organized crime network, you get one. All you need to do is get one. That's it. You don't need to get the whole network. All you need to do is get one. You get one, all of the system, all of it. 
will go into self-preservation mode. Hell, I think half of them are in self-preservation mode anyway. I think something's going on in the U.S. that has got them really nervous. And of course, now things are starting to break through. As you say, now we've got lawmakers on the Hill that are starting to say, uh, wait a minute here, uh, you, you've got you've got connections to this lab. You, you've actually put funding out for, for this lab. What, what are we doing? What are we doing? I think it's going to take time, maybe, I don't know, two, three months, uh, may, maybe longer. I, I'm not sure. But these things have a tendency to work slowly. Uh, but you'll start seeing a little thing here and a little thing there. But eventually, I think what they'll do, the ones behind the scene, they'll start pulling Fauci off of TV. As more heat gets put onto him and more starts to come out about how he is responsible for this uh, this gain-of-function research that was transferred to China, that was done, actually, Obama, quite frankly, they shut it down, but then they started it back up. Don't you think that when Fauci was sitting there as part of that task force, don't you think that it probably would have been a good idea for him to say, uh, Mr. President, um, I was working on gain-of-function research that we sent over to that lab in that area in Hubei province. Don't you think that would have been a good idea for him to maybe mention something like that? He didn't. Uh, to be fair, o Obama during that time actually shut it down the first time. Um, and then and he illegally started it back up on his own yeah, under exactly. whose orders, I'm wondering. Yeah, it's it's like, like a fire break, isn't it? Create a bit of a gap. And so you can't be... It's like shell companies. You You can't get to the person who's really doing the scam because they're behind the wall of this company and behind the wall of that company. So, you know, it was started and then it was stopped. Then it was restarted, most probably under Obama's um, instructions. But you can't prove that because there's this separation. And it's the way people do business all the time, unfortunately. All right, let's spend the last few minutes here on uh, a really interesting piece of technology. Let, let's get off of this uh, th this crazy COVID stuff. I'm tired of talking about it. The Royal Marines are testing an Iron Man style jetpack. I saw a video of this the other day. It's circulating online. I think it's out there on YouTube and all the rest of it for people to go and watch. And basically, a a guy straps on a jetpack. He's got a couple of thrusters on his on his hands, and he's got this massive pack on his on his back, obviously, and he can pretty much take off and you know, you see him take off from a from a rib boat and then he he gets up there on the uh on the deck of the ship and drops off a rope and or a ladder whatever uh for the uh for for the other side of the board then he he jumps up and you know takes off and flies around the other side of the the ship and drops another rope so i mean th this is an interesting concept but i think it has a little bit further to go in terms of portability yeah this is very developmental but Proof of function. Yeah, sure. It was a good demonstration. I had seen the jetpack probably four or five months ago, maybe longer. So I knew of his existence, but this is one of the first times that they've um they they've tried to do a practical test with it from a rib, uh, and then landing on the deck of a, a ship that's underway. But it's got a long way to go yet. It's um it's it's very bulky. Um the jetpacks that are on the arms don't necessarily lend themselves to operating a weapon system. Um, in my day, we we did a thing, and we still do it now. It's still the main way of taking armed men from a warship onto uh, a ship that's going to be stopped and searched uh, under sanctions and those kind of things called fast roping. Um, if you abseil um, from a helicopter, you know, with a, with a linked-on carabiner and everything. Um, 
you are and a you know, figure of eight descender. You need someone to control your descent for you from the helicopter. You need to unclip when you reach the deck and then you need to bring your weapon to bear. That's all slow. So they do a thing called fast roping, which is a big heavy rope and you actually wear three pairs of gloves, an inner sort of silk pair, an outer leather, and then a very heavy leather pair of gloves on top of that. And you just grab the rope and you slide down as fast as you can. The gloves take all the burn out of your hands. Then when you reach the deck, you flick the gloves. The outer gloves fall off because they're loose enough. And then you can pick up your weapon from you know, where it's slung across your chest and bring it immediately to bear. So when the Iranians the, take a tanker, that's usually what we see them do. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's known as fast roping, and this jetpack is a possible alternative because it means you don't have to have a rotary wing aircraft to do it from. You can go straight from the vessel that he landed on, for instance, which is an offshore patrol vessel. It's not very heavily armed, but it has got room for, as well as its crew, it's got room for about 60 um, embarked forces so it can be full of marines you won't find a single uh, packet of um, Crayola crayons on there of course because raw marines eat crayons in fact that's a good question to ask a raw marine what's his favorite flavor crayon but uh, all joking is it aside bad? is it that bad <laughs> well there's, a, there's always a, a, a little bit of um, you know good natured rivalry and banter between all elements of the armed forces, apart from the RAF regiment, they're completely I heard, used. I heard they only wear sunglasses. Who, Royal Marines or the RAF The regiment? RAF. The RAF. Well, they're, they're called the Rock Apes after um, the Barbary Apes that we have in Gibraltar. Uh-huh. Um, that's what they think they're called after. It. It's really yeah, I, because they I remember got Adam the, talking about it all those years yeah, ago whenever but, he came. Come back. See us again, Adam. <laughs> whenever you get a chance. <laughs> No, all joking aside, all elements of the British Armed Forces are the best in the world. And this new development, it's its very, very early stages with it yet until it can actually be of any real use. But, you know, it's every boy's dream, isn't it? And maybe every girl's dream and every non-binary person's dream to be able to fly. So um, good luck to them. I, I, I hope they, they develop it further and, and it becomes... A, a useful thing. I don't think a great deal of money has actually been spent on its development. I think it was developed by an independent sort of inventor, engineer, and the only person he could find brave enough to give it a go was this Royal Marine who's got so good at flying it. Maybe they'll let you fly it, it to the office here soon. It well, does actually fly it really well, by the way. Yeah, does. yeah. It, it, it takes some practice. I would imagine that um, maybe not as long as it would take to train a fast jet pilot, um, but you certainly need to be really spatially aware, um, have good balance, have good eyesight, have good reactions uh, and reflexes because, you know, those jets are being moved around by your arms and legs. Uh, they're not being moved around by a steering column and it's, um, you know, a joystick. You are flying it and, and every move you make will either see you achieve where you want to get to in your flight or will see you crashing into the ground. This is um, also the same uh, style of tech we were seeing. What was it in LA, uh, LAX? where they were having uh, some unknown jetpacker flying up at 
pretty high altitudes. You might be asking about cost. Well, it's not exactly the cheapest thing in the world, uh, but it's not exactly the most expensive thing in the world either. I've seen things more expensive. Uh, each Gravity Industries jet suit costs around $430,000, meaning a team of four would be charging into action with more than $1.5 million worth of equipment on their backs. Uh, it is likely the cost of the suits will come down as technology is refined. Yeah, can you imagine if you could employ, gra- or employ graphene on that? There you go. That's exactly what I was thinking. You could do graphene uh-huh. and make it electric, have a, a lightweight battery and uh, a lightweight system. Yeah. They say that the problem that they're looking at right now to address is the issue of exactly what you mentioned, carrying weapons. That is kind of a problem. You kind of you know need to deal with that. Uh, and they say that the developer has also been testing the suit with the Great North Air Ambulance in Northern England. Yeah, that's another quite viable application it's slightly different for an ambulance uh you know a paramedic to travel to uh remote places mountain sides you know the, the the countryside where you can't get a vehicle or even a motorbike to rescue someone a helicopter has to launch from wherever it's you know the, the airfield that it's launching from and get there they can have these suits on they call it dispersal I mean, the ambulance service in the UK doesn't all sit in in an ambulance station. They disperse. They are all over the region that they're covering. And then the central radio control office calls each unit to which is nearest to the incident. So you can have people with these relatively cheaper um, ways of getting around than a helicopter on dispersal and ready to to get to people. They would get on site, they would take off the the arm thrusters and the leg thrusters and the backpack and and get on with treating the casualty. On a, a ship that you're boarding, if you lose and you've ditched all that stuff on there, um, you're losing a couple of million dollars worth of, of kit every time you you don't manage to make a successful boarding. So that that doesn't that doesn't work, you know. Um, so it, it needs a lot more development yet before it's any use from a military perspective. Did you did did you or the article mention how long they've been doing this test um, with the military? I, I well, I've seen videos of this. I think, and bearing in mind that lockdown has addled my brain a little bit, I think I've been seeing videos about this for at least nine months, maybe a year. Yeah, it's it's been a little over a year now. I, I went to the um, uh, YouTube channel for the for this company, and it's been over a year that they've posted publicly posted videos about them working with the military. So, yeah. however, it, we we don't know if they've been working with them longer. Obviously, because when you get involved with government, uh, there's a time where that's going to be secretive. Yeah, sure, but uh, but I mean, one of the first stages with with this this kind of uh, method of self propulsion or flying is you need something for the thrust to act against so on land it's um it it's easier to get the thrust to act against the ground than it is to get it to act against water although you know i think you need more thrust over water than you would do over land and the higher you go the lower that thrust becomes or, or the less effect it's having so Trying to board the bridge area of a tanker uh, is quite an achievement. And on the video that we're talking about, the latest one, I think he's going up around about 60 to 70 feet to get onto the uh, bridge wings of the OPV. 
All right, we're out of time today. So I uh, want to thank you guys for being here today. You especially, Marty. Thanks for coming on. You're always welcome. You can come on here every night, but I know you're busy. Oh, I'm not busy. I'm just lazy, mate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. This, Everyone's allowed to be lazy. I, I, get yeah. I get it. Can I just say that I am, I'm, I'm a bit disgusted at the moment. Uh, and this is on a personal note. I'm getting to that age now where I can cash in the odd pension pot. And I cashed in a couple of small pension pots just so I can go and spend the money on flumps and crayons for my marine friends. And, and sunglasses and, for your and Sunglasses yeah. for the... I've, I have got friends who are ex-rock apes, and um, they do wear sunglasses a lot, even indoors. So what I find disgusting is that... well. I, I guess our listeners would have gathered by now that I no longer trust our government um, because I think they're lying to us on a huge scale. These pension funds, you've already paid tax on the money that you earned to put into that pension fund. When you draw them out, if you're not fully retiring and stopping work, they tax you at 40% on those on the money that you take out. And um, the amount of tax that I've given to our government this year, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted when you add it up. I won't I won't tell you what the figure is, but it's it's quite considerable. And I'd just like to say to Boris, I want it back. I'm coming for it back. I will get it one way or another. Thank you. You know, I'm, I have to admit, I'm, I'm shocked that you say that you don't trust your government. <laughs> I'm trying to do it with a straight face. I don't trust my government. I don't trust your government. I certainly don't trust the French government, but never have. <laughs> I don't trust them either. By the way, uh, what happened with that whole deal with the French? I, I saw that there was some ramming of ships. There were some uh, flares that were, were sent off, and you sent a couple uh, of frigates down uh, there to deal with it. Gallic flare, isn't it? They've taken a, a flotilla of of trawlers over to Jersey. And all that Jersey were asking was that if you want a licence, as the French politician called it, to fish in the waters around Jersey, then you have to prove that you have an historical right to do so. So they're quite happy to issue the licences, which of course uh, are just the same as when we sold our milk quota to German farmers. Seems now that the because we've our fishing industry has been killed and we've got our waters back, our territorial waters back, and the EU no longer has a right to just fish there, that now licenses will be sold to trawlermen. And these trawlermen have to prove that they fished there before Brexit. That's all they have to do. But because some of them haven't got that proof, because they didn't fish there before Brexit, and they won't get licenses. So what do they do? Typical French uh, reaction. They all tried to blockade Jersey's port. Uh, we sent two of those very lightly armed um, OPVs straight out from Portsmouth to the uh, Channel Islands. And funnily enough, the um, Jersey government were able to have constructive talks with the French fishermen thereafter. So I hope that there wasn't a capitulation by the Jersey government, and they're sticking to their guns, no pun intended, and still insisting that only the people who used to fish there can still get a license. Because the reason is is ecological. It's to save the fish stocks. It's not because you're French and we're British and so on and so forth. It's because the channel is being overfished. And that's what we want to to keep in check. We want to keep it sustainable. I, I get yeah, it. Yeah, we want fish stocks a chance to to uh, recuperate. So, uh, vive la guerre. I did see that a uh, 
uh, a, a blank uh, round was put through a cannon out there to uh, uh, to try and resurrect the uh, the Battle of Trafalgar. <laughs> I did see that. Uh, yeah, that I'd, I'd have loved to have. Well, it would have been blank. <laughs> it would have been blank. Well, yeah. you did say you did say when uh, when they did say that they were gonna when the French said that they were gonna you know uh, surround uh, English vehicles in the Channel. I mean, you did say that if you come over here, we're gonna sink your trawlers. Well, I mean, you you did say it, and I wouldn't have been surprised if that would have happened. But that would have been a horribly diplomatic situation. In typical French style, as soon as uh, two sleek grey messengers of death. Uh, Crossed the horizon and came into view. They raised their uh, battle flag, which is a white cross on a white background, and made like wafers and thinned out. Okay. Uh, like I said 10 minutes ago, uh, we are going to have to end. So thanks for being here today. For those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel, get over there, get signed up to us. You get all of our podcasts we put out here every day. You'll also get access to our exclusive podcast we put out once a week. And you'll also have a chance to watch the video of Dr. Michael Yaden that we put up. Uh, as a matter of fact, what I will do, uh, I will pin that video so it will stay at the top of the feed every time you go into it. So those of you who have not watched it yet, if you want to watch it, I will have that pinned here momentarily. Uh, it should be pinned by the time you uh, by the time you click back into the feed. And what that will do, uh, that will be up there for you to watch it. You don't have to worry about going through and having to find it or anything like that. So yeah, get signed up to us over on Telegram. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us an email at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. We are trying to grow, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We're available everywhere you get your podcasts. Go ahead, Marty. No, I was just going to say, like I said the other day, bonsoir, abiento. Okay. Um, All right. You know. Usually you want to throw in something there. So I, <laughs> it's becoming tradition now that I always ask you. If you're rating podcast, give us a rating when you get a chance. That would be fantastic. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right. That'll do it for today. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great evening. Au revoir. Abiento. Abiento.